consumer price index continues to soar right on the heels of the midterm elections. Now, President Biden says inflation will go up if Republicans take control of Congress. An extended conversation today with Senator Ron Johnson on the economy, immigration, energy, recession, and crime. And what was the goal of Speaker Pelosi for the January 6th committee? Senator Ron Johnson is battling to retain his Senate seat in Wisconsin and joins us at the top of Viewpoint. And it's being called Bloody Friday, by far the deadliest government crackdown against protesters in Iran. And then Biden's comments on Armageddon with Russia and nuclear weapons brings up the question, what is the off-ramp for Vladimir Putin and Russia to de-escalate? Brigadier General Don Volga is running a tight race for Senator New Hampshire. He'll discuss those stories and will the midterm elections be safe and secure? It's all next, friends, on Viewpoint this Sunday. the lies and deceit and bring forth real talk from real people about real news providing the out loud truth and capturing the essence of a new generation all in a fast-paced hour this is viewpoint this sunday welcome to the weekend news magazine viewpoint this sunday it is malcolm out loud here well, I'll tell you what, uh, we are headed into some very interesting times, my fellow Americans. And uh, let's start with the fact of a, a little bit of interesting news for you. And that is that the first week of November 2017 is when we launched this program, Viewpoint This Sunday. So uh, coming up here, November 6th, 2022 is our five year anniversary for this broadcast. And uh, wow, it has grown. It is our number one uh, broadcast on the platform, and uh, thank you to all of you for making it that and helping us get it out there. And of course, this year has significant uh, meaning. Uh, November 8th is election day, so that's gonna be a very busy week. We'll have a lot going on on Viewpoint, to be sure. Uh, and, and let me just read you this listener comment. We get a lot of listener communications in here. It's fantastic. And, and this one comes from Kurt. He says, please continue to fight and bring the truth to the masses. You and your team are a beacon of hope in a sea of evil. Thank you, sir. And that's exactly the goal here on Viewpoint. We'll start that right off right now here with Senator Ron Johnson joins us. Uh, Senator Johnson served as the chairman of the Homeland Security and Governmental Affairs Committee from 2015 to 2021. As a now ranking member for the Permanent Subcommittee on Investigations. It serves on the Budget, Foreign Relations and Commerce, Science and Transportation Committees He's in the heat and thick of the midterm elections in his re-election campaign. And so we'll cover some of that as well today. Uh, Senator Johnson, thank you. It's a privilege always to have you here, sir. Good morning, Malcolm. And honestly, I, I appreciate the way you started that off talking about the truth. I, I've been saying really since I decided to run again that uh, my election literally pits truth against lies, distortions, character assassination, the politics of personal destruction. Uh, but I think that's true across the board. We really are are dealing with truth versus misinformation, disinformation, mm -hmm. outright lies. Yeah. But 
I have a sense, I mean, to, I'm not always necessarily the most uplifting person, but uh, here's somewhat of a hopeful thought. Uh, we just might be seeing a political realignment in this country mm. uh, centered around those of us who are willing to face the truth. And I, I want to underscore that, willing to face the truth. Right now, there are a lot of realities that I wish didn't exist. But you have to face the truth. You have to be willing to have the, the courage to do so versus people who are willing to be deluded. Uh, you know, and of course, they're being deluded by a complicit and corrupt media, uh, big tech, so big tech social media giants. Um, so it really is. It's, it's a struggle. It's a, it's, it's a battle between truth and lies. And that's, you know, and you can put that up against on, on so many different issues. Yeah. Uh, truth versus misinformation lies. Yeah. Those are the new key words today, aren't they? Misinformation and disinformation. Uh, there's so much of it. It's, it's a, it's a runaway, uh, a deal here. And, uh, yeah, no, I appreciate you. Uh, you uh, gave uh, just a bit of hope to listeners. I'm so glad you said what you said uh, when you said the realignment uh, of, of the political scene. That, that's really important. I think people need some hope right now, and they really need to understand that there is uh, opportunity still ahead. Our, our country has been through a great deal uh, just on the heels of this um, pandemic uh, deal uh, over the past several years, uh, the election scene and, and political environment in our country, uh, Senator Johnson, is at an all-time low, to be sure. Uh, let's start at the top here on... Um, well, let's talk about the economy just a bit here. That's nothing more important coming into a midterm election than the economy. That is always historically what it's been. The Labor Department released their... Um, uh, consumer price index figures showing that prices for everyday goods, including groceries, rents, gasoline, etc., rose 0.4 percent in September, much more late than they anticipated. Uh, you know, compared to the previous month, uh, core prices, which include food and energy, rose by 0.6 percent. Uh, prices for groceries, 0.7 uh, September, and 13 percent within the past 12 months. And that's if you can get the items, something she can't even get. And my wife came in the other day, said she couldn't get eggs anywhere. Uh, so that's another thing. Now, the White House responds and they say today's report shows progress in the fight against higher prices, even as we have more work to do. Inflation over the last three months has averaged 2% at an annualized rate. That's down from 11% in the prior quarter, Biden said. But even with this progress, prices are still too high. Fighting the global inflation that is affecting countries around the world and working families here at home is my top priority. So he says that in, he was at an event in California. And uh, he says here, uh, Senator Johnson, he says, here's the bottom line. Um, he's, he says inflation's going to go up and rise uh, if Republicans take control of Congress. He says when it actually comes time to do something about inflation around the table, Republicans in Congress are saying no. If the Republicans take control, the prices are going to go up, will in, as will inflation. It's this simple, he added. Uh, listen, Americans are suffering. Uh, rent, food, cars, I mean, you name it. It, it. Everything is up through the roof and you just try to struggle and hang on. People are doing uh, hoping for a better day. What do you think of his comments about uh, this uh, economy and the inflation and the numbers? Well, unfor unfortunately, you know, inflation may be already baked into the cake. And so what I think uh, President Biden is doing is very cynically predicting that he's going to lose control of Congress and inflation that he caused is going to continue to rise. And so he's 
trying to put the two together so that he can put the blame on a new Republican Congress, even though he's the one that caused it. But Malcolm, I think we need to do and talk about the economy. Let's let's split out two things: economic growth and then inflation. People need to understand that the number one component of a solution, when you're $31 trillion in debt, in order to get out, out from under that debt load, you have to grow the economy. Just like if you've taken on a lot of debt in your personal life, yeah. well, you, it, it's awful nice if you can get a better job and you can increase your earnings. The, the, what's devastating is if you get, a, you know, get laid off or, or you, know, you get your hours cut back. Um, so we have to grow our economy and of course, under President Biden, we've just had two quarters of economic slowdown. We've actually had our economy shrink. Inflation is pretty easy to understand. You know what causes it? Uh, Milton Friedman, my favorite economist, always said inflation is always and everywhere a monetary phenomenon. So it shouldn't surprise anybody. And I've been predicting stagflation since the beginning of 2021. When Democrats embarked on another $1.9 trillion COVID relief package, when we had more than a trillion dollars left unspent from the previous COVID relief packages, which I also thought were excessive. So over the last three years, we've we've literally incurred seven and a half trillion dollars of deficit spending. So we have all this money that's sloshing around the economy. You throw on top of that, a lot of that money was spent making it very possible for, for, for example, baby boomers to finally decide, okay, I'm going to retire. I'm going to remove myself from the workforce permanently. Other people figure they can just get by on, I guess, on one income because they also have other government support payments. Throw on top of that the Democrats' war on fossil fuel, which has purposefully, and your, your listeners have to understand, the Democrats purposely drove up the cost of gasoline and energy. Gasoline in particular, so that you would be forced to buy an electric vehicle, which costs a whole lot more than a gas-powered vehicle. And we don't have enough electricity. Uh, we don't have a reliable reliable enough grid to power all these electric vehicles in the future. Uh, this is a fantasy. But inflation was caused by too much spending, too much deficit spending, mm-hmm. by spending that money to help people stay out of the workforce. So we have fewer workers producing goods and then by driving up the cost of energy. So the solution would be reduce deficit spending, drill for oil, bring down the cost of energy and make sure there's work requirements for any government benefits you get. We're we're a compassionate society. We want to help people that can't help themselves for sure. We also want to help people help themselves, but we don't want to make people dependent and make it easy for them not to be contributing if they can. You know, I wonder how much more do you think? I mean, do they really get the crisis we're at? Well, so unfortunately, there's so very few bureaucrats in the agencies, congressional staff members or, or members of Congress that have any experience in, yeah. which means very little knowledge of and maybe even worse, sympathy for the private sector. They just look at businesses as their cash cow. And what they do know is that benefits are popular. Promising people, hmm. you know, cash payments uh, is popular. Uh, And, you know, I think it was Lord Teitler predicted that, uh, you know, democracies democracies don't last real long. And the death knell for democracy is when a majority of the voters uh, find out that they can vote themselves benefits. And that began a downward spiral. And I think that's the question on the table. Have we already hit that downward spiral? Are are, are voters going to continue to support people that just keep promising the moon? even as we're mortgaging our children's future and spending ourselves into bankruptcy. 
Right. And, you know, listen, I, I'm on the receiving end of all the attacks when you have the courage to say, I'm not going to vote for that. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, when you vote no on a trillion dollar spending package, if somebody's spending a trillion dollars, they'll be spending some of that money on worthy programs. Mm-hmm. And so then they'll, in, in a political campaign like I'm in, they'll pick and choose a, a small little spending amount that is actually worthy and say, I'm, you know, I hate fill in the blank. You know, yeah. I hate puff. Um, and unfortunately, those those ads are. are well, that's the problem with these omnibus bills and everything where they throw everything in the soup in there, isn't it? Absolutely. You, you know, we don't we don't vote on individual spending items. Mm. Uh, we, we don't even have an appropriation process, Malcolm. I, I don't know how many how many times in 12 years I've been there where we've actually brought an appropriation bill up during the fiscal year prior to the, the next fiscal year starting. What what happens generally is what happened this year. The fiscal year ended. And right before the fiscal year, we we passed a continuing resolution, which is a very inefficient way of funding government. And then we've kicked the can down the road, in this case, to before Christmas. And the, the power brokers, you know, the president, the minority, majority leader of the Senate, Speaker of the House, and the appropriation chairman, uh, they're getting together and they're coming up with a multi-thousand page bill. It'll spend trillions of dollars. Nobody will see it until it's dropped on her desk and then you get an up or down vote within a couple hours. It's horribly dysfunctional, but that is why we've mortgaged our kids' future. That's why we're $31 trillion in debt. It's one of the reasons I decided to run again is try and end that cycle, bring some discipline, bring some function to the appropriation process, uh, shine a little sunlight on this yeah. process. Yeah. What, what do we have? Uh, I mean, this is not going to be an easy fix right now. Uh, I mean, there's some pain here to have to go through uh, from the economist and, and the folks that I am speaking to. They're thinking the next couple of years are going to be very difficult, no matter who's in there now, because there's a price to pay for this, as you stated just moments ago here. Uh, is that the general sense we're looking at uh, really a probably a tough couple of years of belt tightening happening here? Yeah, and that's exactly what President Biden is cynically setting up here. You know, again, they caused this. This didn't just happen. Right. You know, open borders, 40-year high inflation, uh, record gas prices, rising crime. These problems didn't just happen. These were caused by Democrat governance and de- Democrat policies. But now he's setting it up the next two years, which could be very, very difficult to blame them all on Republicans. That's, I mean, that's that's how cynical mm-hmm. he is. Yeah. But he won't accept responsibility. Mm-hmm. But this is why I keep saying, Malcolm, it's not a fair fight. It's not a level playing field because we don't have very many journalists left in the mainstream media. They're advocates. Yeah. They're advocates for the left. I mean, let's face it. The radical left has infiltrated almost every institution of this country. And in particular, I mean, the, the power they really have is in the media. And so Democrats mm-hmm. can, rely, can rely on the media to back them up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So they, the media will be blaming Republicans for ongoing inflation. They will be blaming us on any kind of, for any kind of economic slowdown, even though we're not the ones that caused we're, we're, we're coming in here trying to set the stage for 2024, where we can maybe get the presidency in both chambers and then start enacting the pro growth policies that Democrats just don't have a clue. I mean, these guys, they've never created jobs. I mean, I'm running against a guy in, in Wisconsin here, I don't, if he's had one, I'm not aware of a job in the private sector. You know, so he has, he has no experience in the private sector. He doesn't have a, he's never created a job. He doesn't have a clue. 
His, his degree is in communication, specializing in performance. So he's a performer. He's an actor. Hmm. As I said, the debate on Friday night, I don't know whether he's just delivering lines that somebody else wrote for him or, or whether he's making these things up on his own. But the falsehoods just roll off his tongue. He's expert at it. So th- that's our that's our problem. This is this getting again getting back to truth versus lies. Mm-hmm. Media won't call him on his right, lie. Right. They 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 actually amplify his lies. All right, let's talk a little energy here. There was a, a really interesting um, article I want to just share with you uh, in Eurasia, uh, which is interesting because they always get a fascinating perspective from outside our borders and um, uh, within uh, uh, the Middle East and oil. And the decision by the OPEC Producers Alliance to reduce oil output by 2 million barrels a day is the subject matter. Uh, So according to the White House's National Security Council spokesman, John Kirby, uh, the Saudi view of events in a statement uh, by the Ministry of Foreign Affairs said that the oil output decision was a consensus of the whole alliance in the interest of global energy market stability is no more than spin. But in truth, all the spin is coming from Washington, which has been on an embarrassing spree of self-contradiction. Despite all the angry rhetoric from Democratic lawmakers who assumed that Saudi Arabia had backed away from its oil price commitments to Biden, the president himself told CNN that oil was actually not even discussed with Saudi Arabia in July. This this gets really interesting. And so lawmakers revealed that the White House had no objection in principle to a cut in oil output. But listen to this. But merely wanted an announcement. Well, after the midterm elections in November, the view was indirectly uh, was confirmed by the Saudi foreign minister's statement, which said the U.S. had been consulted about the decision and had asked for it to be delayed for a month but not cancel. So they were okay, Senator Johnson, with the pain. They were okay with cutting it back. They just wanted to make sure it was after the midterm elections in regards to our energy prices. What do you make of this? Well, that's what I was saying, Malcolm. Democrats are engaged in in a war on fossil fuels. They are purposely driving up the cost of energy, the cost of gasoline, to control your life, to force you to an electric vehicle. I mean, just think of the control electric vehicles have over you as opposed to a gas-powered vehicle. I mean, just kind of think about that. But let's face it, for decades, in a bipartisan manner, the goal of this of America has been to achieve energy independence. Because of horizontal drilling and hydro- hydraulic fracturing, we achieved that under the last administration. We were energy independent. We were we were exporting. We're, you know, and then President Biden ended all of that so this this again your your pain at the pump the the pain you and your family is experiencing this has been purposeful on the part of democrat policies and democrat governance people need to understand that the media won't point that out to you 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 have to get educated on your own you have to understand what's happening here but no the the cynical nature of Biden saying, hey, can you just not announce that till after the election? Right, right, right. Okay. Um, and here, here's something else. We are depleting our our strategic petroleum. I wanted to ask you about that. Is that more of the strategy between now and the next two, three weeks? Because prices look like they're edging up right now, Senator. And if they go up much higher, that's going to really tilt the, uh, the, the ballots even more, don't you think? 
Yeah, people need to understand that Strategic Petroleum Reserve is meant for a national crisis. That's right. It's not it's not there to be used by a politician who has purposely driven up the cost of gas and he wants to bring it down a little bit prior to an election to help his side get votes. But that's what that's what President Biden is doing. He is he has taken away a strategic asset of America that we need to use in a crisis to help him survive the midterm elections. Well, because of those energy policies you just talked about, that's that's what we're talking about. That's a cover up for the horrible energy policies and having to rely on Saudi Arabia, Venezuela. I mean, come on. No, I know. So, yeah, he's. He's going begging on on hands, you know, hands and knees to mm-hmm. uh, regimes that we shouldn't have to be begging for oil from. I mean, we should be energy independent. Independent. We should be exporting, which should help our balance of trades. And we have to also recognize this Green New Deal is a fantasy. We, we don't have the rare earth minerals. We don't have the batteries uh, manufacturing capabilities to produce these electric vehicles and. Solar and wind power cannot power our economy. 80% of our economy is powered by fossil fuels. That will be true well into the future, unless we want to dramatically shift into nuclear, which I'd be all for. But the environmentalists aren't. So if they're going to take nuclear off the table, we are going to have to be dependent on fossil fuels for decades to come. And, And even if we were to reduce, eliminate all of ours in the U.S., yeah. according to their own models, which have not been particularly accurate, it would right. only have a fraction of a degree difference in terms of global warming because China and India will continue to burn coal and fossil fuels to power their economies, to pull their populations out of poverty. So again, the the the, the left, the Democrats, environmentalists, they're, they're deluding themselves in terms of what the reality situation is. And in their delusion, they are creating real pain for real people here in America. Yeah, yeah. And the the whole argument about a recession, uh, we've now gone through a couple of quarters of that decline. Uh, it's safe to say, I mean, I'm sure you believe we are in a recession. They're, you know, the White House are saying we're not. Uh, what, what's the general mood of that uh, quickly in uh, Washington on this recession? Well, again, it is a it is a weird recession because we have such low unemployment. And I would right. say, from my own personal view, is that's part of the reason we're in a recession because we've made it possible for for so many people to stay out of the labor force. We have a very low labor participation rate, so we're not producing as many goods as we need, and you got way too many dollars chasing those even fewer goods. Mm-hmm. So it, it's kind of an odd uh, recession, but regard regardless of the the uh, definition, uh, I would call it for sure stagflation. Uh, we're not growing at the rate we need to grow at. You know, just at a minimum, we ought to be growing at three percent a year. Yeah. We're not even close to that. We really need to grow even f- faster than that if we're going to get out from under this debt load and not have a, a debt bomb go off. But you know, that's really what 8.5% inflation is certainly an inkling of, mm-hmm. is uh, you know that massive debt. And you know, I keep pointing out that uh, a dollar you held at the start of the Biden administration, it's only worth 88.3 cents. Or put another way, if, if you're senior on a fixed income, let's say you were fortunate enough to have a little nesting, uh, We'll call it hundred thousand dollars for ease of calculation. At the start of the Biden administration, if you had hundred grand in your in your savings account, your retirement account, that's only worth eighty-eight thousand three hundred dollars. Wow! The wow. Federal, you know, the Biden administration, from by sparking inflation, has basically taken twelve thousand dollars of value out of your savings account. And again, that that doesn't even you know, that's looking forward. Um, 
that's not that will never be replaced. Yeah. That's just gone. Right, right. All right. Let me move it to uh, several other big things to talk to you about. I want to touch real briefly on immigration for a moment that we could spend hours just on this topic alone. But, uh, you know, I think we all recognize or I think most people recognize and they're feeling the pain of drugs and, and deaths and fentanyl and opioids and everything that is really I mean, this is incredible. Not to mention the evil components uh, beyond the drug cartels that are running our borders but terrorist activities, and then the pure cost of economics of illegal immigration and the fact there's no policy. Listen, we were talking about immigration policy all my life. I've been hearing this back and forth um, ping pong in Washington on immigration. It's got to such a crisis mode right now, Senator. Do you think, is there any appetite, really sincerely, to secure America's borders and to solve the problem. In other words, sometimes you have to go real low and get the pain before you fix the problem. I'm, I'm suggesting we've done that. Is there an appetite in Washington, uh, in a general mood, where in the next Congress, is there any possibility they might come together somehow, depending on how the makeup is, of course, of the uh, Congress, uh, to get real immigration reform, or is that just so far removed from the possibilities? The problem is the Democrats' stated policy is open borders. Right. I mean, wide open borders. That's what, that's what we have right now. So until we have enough Democrats that are serious about taking the first step, the necessary first step, which is securing the borders, and Malcolm was so depressing. Uh, well, such a travesty about what Biden did is we pretty well had the borders secure so we could take the next step. I and mean, we'd, we'd stop the flow of unaccompanied children, of family units exploiting our laws, We'd actually cut the number of single adults coming into this country illegally uh, about in half. But then the Democrat presidential debate, they started talking about ending deportations and offering free health care and single adult immigration, illegal immigration started bumping up. And then when Biden came in here, he threw open the borders. And now we have this explosion. I mean, Obama said 2000 people being encountered a day was a humanitarian crisis. Now, over the last five or six months, it's been over 7000 people wow. a day. Wow. More than 6,000 people per day for the entirety of the Biden administration. Mm. So, I mean, this is actually pretty simple. You secure the border and we showed people how to do it. Mm -hmm. it. It was pretty well secure. And then what you do in terms of a legal immigration system, I was working with the previous administration. Mm -hmm. We had taken the 100, 100 visas down to about six. They were going to be awarded based on a metric system tied to our economy. We've let family members in as well. But if it's a legal system, you can dial it up and dial it down based on your, your economic conditions. Um, you know, so, so once once you do that, then you can also take care of the DACA kids. I think we all want to take care of them. Um, but, you know, I was just thinking here, you've got two more, you've got a couple more years of this administration regardless. So probably you're not going to, with their current policies, we're probably not going to get anything out of the next Congress for immigration, more than likely. It would probably have to be a, uh, a, a new administration as well as a Congress, wouldn't it, really, bottom line, right? Which is a real shame because yeah. according to my calculations, and these numbers grow every day, at mm -hmm. least 3 million people have either been encountered, processed, and dispersed, or come to this country as a known right. or unknown. That's that's a number larger than the population of 17. It's sad. It is sad. It is reckless. It is irresponsible. It, and, and Americans should be angry. And really, this is this is a topic that is, is going it's going to be our undoing, let alone anything else. Let me change it up now and talk to you about, uh, well, this is uh, I, I and I'm just, you know, the whole January 6th committee thing, uh, Speaker Pelosi. 
So here's, I just want to keep it simple. We can't get into the weeds here on this, but Politico says since the very first hearing of the House January 6th committee, the panel has vowed to, one, correct the historical record of the aftermath of the 2020 election, two, present the case that former President Trump was at the center of a scheme to overturn the results of a free and fair election, and three, outline an ongoing attack on American democracy. I guess my question is, uh, it appeared to me, and I reported on this months ago, Senator Johnson, when you don't have a good record to run for in any midterm or any election for that matter, you've got to deflect. You've got to pivot and deflect. That's just that's just politics. That's the way it is. And um, they knew that months ago that they were going to be in for some heated battles here in, uh, you know, w- what we're experiencing right now. I recognized and reported that they're going to try to make this midterm all about Trump. They surely have done that now. So my question to you is, what is the real motivation? What What do you think the ultimate goal of Speaker Pelosi's January 6th committee is, was and is? Uh, I, I mean, I've reported, I believe it was all about Trump. Uh, was there something else to this that I missed or uh, it, was that it in your opinion? Well, also uh, part of that might be covering up her own failings when it came to lack of security on January 6th. Amen. Um, so, f- first of all, yeah. any every conservative, conservative I know forcefully, immediately, and repeatedly uh, condemned the violence on January 6th. Yeah. I mean, I certainly have. Uh, but I also condemned the violence in 570 riots that occurred during, during the summer. And you notice <laughs> the news media never talks about them. I mean, there were 2,000 law enforcement officials injured during those riots. A couple people, a couple dozen, th- couple dozen people lost their lives. You mean the yeah, summer of people- love. You're talking about the summer of love. Is that correct? <laughs> Precisely. Okay. But no, January 6th never should have happened. I mean, we, we found out in Kenosha, you know, once, once we finally did get the manpower after three nights of rioting, you need sufficient manpower to prevent or stop rioting. You know, wh- where, where was, where were the Capitol police? There was no visible police presence present on the west side of the Capitol. Mm. They knew there were going to be tens of thousands of protesters. You need to have a police presence there and make sure it never happened. But again, that's that's the Speaker of the House. That's congressional leadership that uh, dropped the ball on that, even though Mm -hmm. there appears to be sufficient warning. So no, the January 6th committee has not uncovered the truth. There, there's an awful lot we still don't know, an awful lot of mystery surrounding J- J- January 6th. But again, I need to repeat because I get falsely accused. Right. Uh, I immediately, forcefully, repeatedly, and continue to condemn the violence. I don't condone it at all. I, anybody that committed an act of violence should be prosecuted to the full extent of the law. But our laws ought to be applied equally mm. uh, across the board. What, what, what a novel idea. Um, so let me ask you about the campaign now uh, in Wisconsin here. And at the center of this is crime, uh, crime in your state, crime across the, the country. Uh, I, I just don't even have the words for this. Uh, it, this is another sad reality, uh, you know, combined with all the economic economic um, 
challenges people are having, Senator, along with uh, all the illegal activities coming across the borders, uh, the drugs, the problems, the, uh, the you know, the crime. This is all connected is what I would suggest back to you. You're dealing with a lot of crime in your state as well. That's been a center of your campaign there against uh, the opponent there, uh, Mandela Barnes. Uh, what do you think, uh, wh wh what's happening with the crime there? And what is the latest, uh, I know you had your other debate the other night, it looks like you're moving upward now in the polls, it appears, uh, I believe. Um, give us a shine of light there for a moment, please. Sure. Well, first of all, I'm going to need continue to need resources for Ron Johnson for Senate.com is where you can help me out to make sure I can get the truth out. Mm -hmm. But no, statewide, murders are up 70% over 2019. In Milwaukee, they're up 93% since 2019. And let's face it, across, across the board, this defund the police movement has caused police to stop policing the way they would like to police, uh, the way they were trained to police. Uh, it dispirits law enforcement. It's getting very difficult to recruit law enforcement. I, I don't know too many police officers I talk to that are recommending their children to get into law enforcement. Let's That's face right. it, That's law right. enforcement is often kind of a family uh, tradition. So I, I don't know where we're going to get the law enforcement officers to keep us safe. I, I'm running against an opponent who's been at the forefront of the defund police movement. He thinks uh, reducing the prison populations is sexy. Mm. You know, he and, and Lieutenant or he and Governor Evers, their goal was to reduce the prison population in Wisconsin by 50 percent. Wow. Been reduced by 15 percent. And, and their parole commission has paroled 884 criminals. Most of them were violent. Mm -hmm. 784, including 44 child rapists mm. and 270 criminals who primarily committed or at least uh, attempted murder. And they were horrific murders. I mean, go to Wisconsin right now. It's got the, the articles on this. It's just it's horrific. Yeah. So it's that soft on crime attitude. The you know, my, my opponent also interviewed with Russia today six times denouncing police, denouncing law enforcement mm. in America, being allowed himself to be used as a propaganda tool of the war criminal Vladimir Putin. That's who I'm running against. I'm running yeah. against a radical leftist hiding in sheep's clothing. And once again, the media is, for the most part, not asking him the tough questions. That, that's when he comes out of hiding. Uh, no, this is, again, we're, we, we are battling truth versus lies and distortions. We always knew there was going to be a price for this uh, in, insanity of defunding the police. It was the wackiest idea and a, and a, and a strange one, obviously uh, created by evil people. Uh, it was never going to turn out well. And now we're seeing the results of that. And it's well beyond Chicago, New York and L.A. Look at New Orleans has just jumped up, jumped up to be a incredible crime capital now uh, and other uh, cities and also suburban and rural, it's pushed over to as well. Uh, this is a real problem. And I think this is possibly driving more of the electorate coming into the polls than people want to admit. That's just my sense, Senator Johnson. Uh, you agree with that? Oh, it's absolutely true here in Wisconsin. Again, to the extent that people are made aware of it. That's right. And that's our problem is, you know, we have to pay to get our message out. It's not amplified by the media because we have a highly biased media that covers up for the other side, like the border. We're not talking about the human depredations, the human traffickers at the border. We're not talking about how, uh, you know, for example, my, my opponent supported no bail. And that's, of course, the, the what happened in, in Waukesha 
That individual, that murderer, was let out on low bail and murdered six people and injured 60 others in the Waukesha Christmas Parade Massacre. Yeah. So, again, ronjohnson.com, I'll need the resources to tell the truth, but uh, there's no doubt about it that if people understand the truth, they are appalled by it. And let's face it, most people want to think, you know, want to feel safe in their home, in their neighborhood, in their in their community. And right now they're not. I mean, I, I'm talking to people that they're afraid they're afraid to leave their house yes, to right. walk to the store to, to buy their prescription drugs in certain areas in Milwaukee. Yeah, uh, that, that's a, that's an unsustainable state of affairs in democracy. Trying to get this truth out to people is the biggest uh, chore we have, the the dilemma, uh, because when you look at the math and you look at the policies and you look at real world impact, there's no there's no question any election would be a landslide for humanity and for doing the right thing. Uh, there would be no question. You you would have a turnover like you've never seen before, but it's all hidden by the media elite, which is sicker than sick. And it's something we fight every day here, Senator, at America Out Loud, every single day. We push hard to get that out loud truth out there. It's not easy, but it's a fight worthy of our great nation. Thank you for all that you do, and always thank you. It's a privilege always to talk to you here, sir. God bless you, and have a great day. Thank you. You too. So uh, that website, again, friends, is Ron Johnson for Senate. Dot com. Take a look at the policies. Take a look at the work Senator Johnson has done. Uh, he surely has been, uh, again, like many of you listening, a patriot, an American who cares passionately about their country. And uh, surely he has our support here. And uh, so Ron Johnson for Senate.com is where you look and to uh, get involved and contribute there to this important election. Uh, the Senate hangs on these kinds of races right here. Uh, as well as up next, we'll be talking with Don Valdek out of New Hampshire, another very tight race in New Hampshire that uh, we'll see if it can turn or not. Uh, we'll pick that up next, friends. Uh, stay right there. More Viewpoint in just a moment. The America Out Loud talk radio app is on Android or Apple. It's the perfect way to listen in to the new generation of talk shows and hosts who are ready to inform and inspire. We know you love the versatility and portability of the Genesis Fogger, but sometimes you just want to set it and forget it. Well, we heard you. Introducing the UX4 HOCL Atomizer. This stationary unit quietly protects you and is perfect for smaller spaces. With over a quarter million units sold in Japan, it's now available in the United States. Visit genesisfogger.com forward slash out loud to see the UX4 in action and receive a 15% discount on either Fogger with promo code OUTLOUD. With Genesis, you're ready for anything. All right, you've all heard Malcolm and the great Dr. Peter McCullough talk about the povidone iodine-based nasal spray Cofix RX. They talk about it because it's a product that actually works in combating colds, flus, and coronaviruses. Cofix is made in the USA and recommended by thousands of doctors and pharmacists nationwide. It's simple. By attacking viruses where they incubate, you make it easier for your body to heal. Check out the Cofix RX banner ad on AmericaOutloud.com and save 20%. By using promo code OUTLOUD. Hello, I'm Ben Marble, MD, and I founded MyFreeDoctor.com as a donation-supported, faith-based nonprofit with a mission to save lives by delivering free doctor visits to patients in all 50 states of America. MyFreeDoctor.com treats a broad range of health concerns like COVID-19, long COVID, sinus infections, urinary tract infections, rashes, medication refills, and more. 
So please visit MyFreeDoctor.com where we're healing America one person at a time. People often ask me, Malcolm, how do we fight the corruption? Robert Frost has said it best. Freedom lies in being bold. Well, for six incredible years, bold is America out loud. Welcome to the new era in communications, America Out Loud Talk Radio. Welcome back to Viewpoint this Sunday, my friends. It is Malcolm Out Loud here, and uh, uh, right in the center of this is another battleground state, which is New Hampshire. Uh, And this will weigh heavily into uh, where the Senate falls. Uh, there's a gentleman running there in uh, New Hampshire, and uh, that is General Don Boldeck joins us. And uh, you know, he spent nearly six years as Special Operations Commander in Afghanistan. It's a great history and record of, of service to our nation. Uh, Ten tours of duty in Afghanistan after 9-11. Received five bronze stars, two purple hearts. Uh, retired in 2017 and decided, well, he, he wanted to serve the people again and now running for Senate in New Hampshire. Welcome to the program, uh, General Don. How are you doing? Well, sir, it's great to be part of the program and my best to your listeners. One of the big stories that, you know, it's just not getting the kind of media coverage here, uh, Don, that it should be. And that is the uprising in Iran. And with your experience, I'd like to get your scope on that. Now, what just transpired in the last couple of days is being called Bloody Friday, as witnesses described the, some of the deadliest crackdowns in Iran's protests. This is the biggest uh, uprising we've seen since the uh, 1979 and the Shah. So uh, it's a pretty big deal, uh, and it, it revolves around the women. And uh, what's your sense of what's happening there in Iran and this uprising and what the potential is? You know, the people of Iran have had enough with the dictatorial you know, leadership there, and they're tired of the government operating at their expense. They're tired of not having freedoms and liberty, and they're doing what exa- exactly what they should be doing, even though it's going to cost bloodshed, and that is they're standing up against this tyranny, against this, uh, you know, really extreme Sharia religious oppression uh, that we see in many places of the world, and, you know, Iran, uh, is very dangerous in that, in particular, they've been emboldened by this, this administration to increase their, their nuclear program, right. as well as their terrorist proxy attacks across the Middle East, going into Saudi Arabia, Qatar, the UAE, in uh, other places, and threatening one of our best allies, which is you know Israel, which is also unacceptable. And this is destabilizing that entire region And because we have a weak Biden administration, a weak military, a weak uh, Department of State, our diplomacy, our peace through strength, our weakness across our economy here, and the fact that China is supporting Iran um, and Russia is supporting Iran, uh, this is creating huge problems for the entire world. We need the people to stand up and fight, but America's got to get stronger and we got to start uh, ensuring that what, uh, you know, diplomatically and politically, because we certainly don't want to go to war there and put boots on the ground, but we got to isolate them uh, even more 
And that includes isolating China and Russia. Yeah. Don, I want to ask you, you just brought up a really good point about the military and when you were talking about weak. And uh, I want to get your honest reaction to that. I'm, I'm getting a lot of feedback in here. I mean, uh, it's always being referenced now as the woke military. Um, in your circles uh, with military, what is the real gut-wrenching sense of this? And, and I'm just wondering, is it all overstated or is our military indeed weakened by these new policies and by the uh, what they're calling the woke military? How much of a factor is that with us and being a fighting machine? Sir, it's a huge factor. It's, it's actually understated, believe it or not. Okay. I mean, what we're hearing is bad enough, but it's actually understated. And the chairman and the secretary of defense and other you know, uh, admirals and generals at the highest levels, all the way down to the lieutenants act, you know, they know what's happening to the military and everything that's happening to the military is bad. Yet, um, the senior leaders are forcing the junior leaders, um, you know, to take steps that they know are not good for morale, health and welfare of our service members, not good for readiness. Uh, and this is really a leadership problem at the highest levels and it's being caused at that level. And, you know, the 20,000 service members that we've released from from active duty and reserves and national guard, because they won't complete the the vaccine regimen Mm -hmm. is absolutely reprehensible and wrong. And our military is being weakened. It's marginally capable of being able to do its job Mm -hmm. and nobody's being held accountable, Mm -hmm. particularly, for the devastating debacle uh, withdrawal from Afghanistan. This is hurting our country. Yeah, you've answered some of my worst fears there. And I I really didn't know what you were going to say, but actually uh, it's very disheartening to hear those words. And your point of the vaccine booster program is well-rooted. We covered that a great deal here in America Out Loud. And you're right, the numbers that have been uh, tossed out of the military because they won't succumb to the... uh, the COVID shot is uh, is is sadder than hell. So this is another factor in the weakening of our military. I, I've heard many military commanders say we'd have we'd be challenged to be on one front. We could not do two fronts. There's no way. And of course, this information no is getting out to the enemy is the problem. I mean, we're an open society here, so you know this is like whatever we talk about, it's out there, man. So the president comes out, oh, what, about uh, just uh, last week or two here and talks about Armageddon, speaks about Russia and with the potential of using a tactical nuclear weapon, uh, could end up with Armageddon. People were shocked at the fact that he would utter those words. Uh, The State Department, National Security Council have taken a much more uh, conservative, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, speech about that. They're not really saying those kinds of things. But he he laid out an actually interesting question, and I would like to ask it to you, and potentially you have an answer for this. The president actually said, I'm trying to figure out what is Putin's off-ramp. Of course, I've been asking that question now for the better part of a year. Uh, And so this is what he said at a recent event. Where does he find a way out? Where does he find himself in a position that he does not only lose face, but lose significant power within Russia? And now this is from an administration who has created a lot of these problems. And yet he's now asking uh, the question that really could have been avoided, I might suggest, had he really got to the table and tried to negotiate something up front 
but that never happened here. Now this thing has escalated to a very uh, troublesome and embarrassing point. What is the off-ramp for Vladimir Putin, do you think? Is there one? And how does this end? Well, you know, those are very good questions. And he had the opportunity, you know, to uh, to block this, I think, twice now as I look at it. And that was from September to February um, when Putin was putting everything in place to invade right after the the debacle in Afghanistan, which kind of empowered uh, Russia. And, you know, with the with the um, approval of or, you know, permission of China, you know, Russia moved forward uh, with their invasion. And then we did the initial support to the Ukraine's. Ukrainians, they stood up and fought, pushed them back. And then the second opportunity to bring in diplomacy, get him to the table, hit him with more energy sanctions, bring him to his knees was lost. And just recently, he started offensive operations again. And so now we're kind of back to where we were in February. Um, and now all kinds of pressure on America and other countries to, you know, continue support without the right proper without the proper strategy and policy in place for you know politics economics um, diplomacy and so in my mind it's just like Afghanistan and Iraq and Africa all over again where we have no policy we have no strategy and we're going to throw money and potentially people at the problem which is what we don't want to do because we lack um, the confidence of the world. He's right. not afraid of us. And every time we turn around, he's going to, you know, kind of uh, poke it, you know, poke us in the mm -hmm. chest with, mm -hmm. you know, I got nukes, I got nukes, I got nukes. Well, you know, when we push back on that and go back on our heels and when we don't do our testing and we don't follow through with things that we're going to do, we just look weaker. Um, China does not want a nuclear war. And I think China will be the one behind the scenes that measures Putin in this area. Mm. But Putin will still keep it on the table. Right. And as a result, our weakness in these other areas of national power and the fact that our military doesn't have the peace through strength um, appearance to China, Russia, North Korea, Iran. Yeah. This is just going to go on until yeah. we draw the line with Russia and bring him to his knees and let the Politburo and the people of Russia say enough is enough. Do you think Putin himself is in jeopardy? I do. I think he's in jeopardy. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, yeah. you know, no man, no man, uh, you know, can mm -hmm. protect themselves at a period of time right. in a dictatorship and in the kind of government that he's established yeah. um, when they're making these kind of decisions. And I just think that folks in the, Politburo and the Russian people are going to say enough is enough. Right, right, right. I, th I think you make a valid point there. I think we're getting pretty close to that uh, point as well, uh, is my uh, assessment as well. Uh, but you, uh, bottom line and a final thought, you you get a, I'm getting a sense from you, you don't think, or certainly we hope not, but you don't think nuclear, uh, tactical or otherwise, uh, would play into this. You mentioned China, but you, you think that is just being used as a kind of a negotiating point then is your sense, huh? Yeah, that, that's my sense. And don't get me wrong, it is dangerous. But nothing is more dangerous yeah. than what Joe Biden did with his careless comments 
at a fundraiser yeah. on Armageddon. Yeah. And, you know, the National Security Council and others are only going to react to that in a measured way. Right. But, you know, <clears throat> that is just absolutely irresponsible for him to do. Uh, and we have so many other ways mm-hmm. to weaken Putin uh, that we have not taken economically and we need to do so. And we also got to do it through China as well, because really they're the ones that are, you know, in my opinion, the ones to watch because they're orchestrating all of this. They don't want nuclear war. They Mm -hmm. want to be able to take over uh, the world by ruining us from within and using their economic power, their trade, uh, their influence over other countries in an, you know, in, in Asia and outside of Asia to bring America down. Yeah, well, they've been doing a hell of a job in that category, uh, General. <laughs> they've been doing a yes, great job, man, I got to tell you. All right, let's now get into this uh, New Hampshire race. This is uh, really quite something. This is uh, surely the race of a lifetime, and you're right in the center of it all. Uh, it's really close. It's tight, and it's tightening up even more here. Uh, as uh, you're running again, somebody who's been there a while, it's always tough to get incumbents out. They become part of the woodwork. Uh, Senator Maggie Hassan, of course. And uh, but let me ask you here now. I seen a headline uh, through the CNN folks. Uh, Baldock raises uh, unsubstantiated. Of course, they would always put that possibility of 2022 election impropriety ahead of New Hampshire Senate contest. There's a lot of misgivings here and a lot of miscommunication in the media when we use the word stolen election or fraud or those kinds of things. And and I would suggest, and I think you would agree back potentially, although you can tell me yourself, I I think there's the the real conversation that conservatives probably need to be having is that the way COVID was utilized to secure votes and do things that were improper through state legislations, uh, things of that nature that were done uh, that got a little fuzzy, Uh, you know, that really, to me, is the bigger conversation than, oh, the election was stolen or whatever. I mean, there were a lot of improprieties, I guess would be the right word. Uh, you know what I'm saying? Because the media consistently takes this out of context. How much of a concern, it, did I say that correctly, number one? And two, how much of a concern or do you have one, sincerely, in the 2022 midterms, sir? Yeah, so the irregularities and the fraud that we saw here in New Hampshire in particular had to do with machines, had to do with, you know, ballot counting. Uh, two months before the primary here this year, you know, in Bedford, New Hampshire, they found 190 votes that hadn't been counted in the 2020 election. Um, and, you know, we know in Wyndham and other parts of the state, uh, we had problems with machines uh, in their validation and so on and so forth. And then we have problems with college students who aren't New Hampshire residents voting. We have problems with same day voter registration. We have problems with people, uh, you know, we have an ID requirement, yet there is an exception where you can sign an affidavit and come back in and and show your ID within two weeks after the election. Mm -hmm. Over 10,000 people did that, but less than 400 came in. These are the things that the state needs to tighten up. But what granted staters need to be really worried about is what Senator Hassan wants to do, and that is she wants to federalize elections, which is absolutely mm. the wrong thing to do. Yeah. She wants to get rid of the Electoral College, which is absolutely the wrong thing to do. And she wants to get rid of the first uh, in New Hampshire, you know, first first in the primary, 
for New Hampshire. And that's absolutely wrong. And so her idea of having big federal government, you know, be in charge of elections across the country uh, is absolutely wrong. And then her idea about small states not being able to, you know, carry their weight and have their fair share when it comes to electing the president is absolutely wrong. And the fact that our, our legislators have to clean some things up. But we got a very good poll watcher program that didn't exist in 2020 that's in 2022 now. And just the whole organization process that the RNC and others have done, I think is gonna buy down a lot of the concerns that people have. More Granite Staters are involved in, in watching the polls, which is really good. I have standing room only town halls going on hmm. during the general election where she is doing stuff via Zoom. She won't debate me. She won't stand up even for her own party for the way she's voted to hurt Granite Staters and Americans economically, fiscally, in our safety. Yeah, I was going to ask you about debates. There's been no there's been no uh, no agreements there. Nothing could come together on a debate there. huh? Yeah, so far, she doesn't want to do debates. So uh, we're fighting that. People of New Hampshire are fighting it. Nobody agrees with it. It's not the New Hampshire way. Mm-hmm. The New Hampshire way is to get out on the ground right. and to talk to people and to meet people uh, across the political spectrum at every single age and just, you know, deliver your message. And our message is one right. about economic prosperity, protecting our livelihood, protecting the future of our children and grandchildren, securing fiscal responsibility and the safety and security of the country by securing our borders, driving down high crime, improving education, giving parents the rights they need, Mm -hmm. dealing with this insidious opioid crisis and human trafficking, everything else the cartels are doing to us. It's very serious. And she's on the wrong side of all these issues with her votes. All right, let me give the website out to folks. It is donboldeck.com, B-O-L-D-U-C, friends. Uh, General, I, really, we are wishing you uh, great success. Uh, I know you're in a fight of your life there in New Hampshire, and the Senate hangs in the balance. Best of luck on the run through here to Election Day, sir. Thank you so much. Thank you, listeners. Anything anyone can do to help, I'm here to serve, get this country on the right track uh, for the future of our children and grandchildren. So thank you very much for this time, and God bless you. A big thank you to General Don Bolduc and Senator Ron Johnson, and also a programmer note on Monday on my daily program, The Voice of a Nation, fascinating program with Bonner Cohen, Senior Fellow at the National Center for Public Policy Research, and Dr. Jay Lair, Senior Policy Analyst with the International Climate Science Coalition, stopping the useful idiots who run America's institutions. Uh, This references back to John F. Kennedy when he had that famous speech back in 1961, the president and the press, you might recall. And this gets into disinformation, COVID and censorships and government bureaucracies. Fascinating conversation. Join us there, friends, on The Voice of a Nation on Monday for that broadcast there. It's time to get involved and get loud, America.